0: Hey, so happy holidays from me, John Reem, and on behalf of the Nebraska Comployment Podcast. So, uh, just want to talk about, go back and talk about some old episodes here. First of all, I have to say thank you to Mike Elk from Payday Report, a Twitter verified account, who retweeted the Amazon and the uh, shameless economy Pod, He retweeted that on his Twitter account on December 2nd. So thanks to Mike at Payday Report. If you like this podcast and the kind of content that I put out, and if you're not already a subscriber to Payday Report, I'd encourage you to, to uh, subscribe to Payday Report and to follow Mike on social media, if you don't already. So... Also, after I cut that episode about Amazon and the shameless economy, saying that they had supplanted Walmart as the villain of the retail of retail employment, there was a story that came out on Black Friday or the weekend of that weekend about Walmart not paying their Black Friday workers like like holiday pay. They just instead gave them. A little extra discount on merchandise. So, Walmart, while maybe not as evil as uh, Amazon, is certainly stru- trying to stay competitive. I mean, just because Alabama didn't win the SEC or make the college football playoff, they're still ten and two, and they're pretty good team. That's kind of like the way Walmart is too. So, anyway, there's that. So. I'm going to do this episode on, based off of some other reporting that was done by Fatima Hussein of Bloomberg Law, and she's actually a law graduate and may have been a practicing lawyer, I'm not sure, but she did some really good reporting about UPS and about how they fail to report their work injuries. And I'm going to talk more in depth about that reporting later in the podcast. So while Fatima's, Fatima's story was, was very well reported for a lot of reasons, the story about employers not reporting work injuries is an old one and a common one. Because when I read that report, when I read that story in Bloomberg Law from Fatima Hussein, I was already working on a post about employers who don't turn over work injuries for my blog. And the reason that I was blogging about it is because two other lawyers uh, who blog about workers' compensation from an employee's perspective, Tara Reck, in Washington State, who, you know, you should follow on LinkedIn if you're there, and Jeff Blackwell in Alabama, who's on LinkedIn and Twitter, too, and you should follow him as well, uh, both of, you know, Jeff and Tara had both written about workers not turning, employers not turning over work injuries, and, you know, I, you know, by the time this episode comes out, I will have posted about it, too, so, literally, you have lawyers, workers' comp lawyers from Atlantic to Pacific to mid, you know, from the Pacific Northwest to the Midwest to the Deep South, writing about the same issue. So it's a big, it's a, it's a major issue. And it's one that doesn't have, you know, I'm glad Fatima Hussein reported on it, Bloomberg Law reported on it. But it's not something that, you know, gets into the mainstream of media reporting. And hopefully, maybe, maybe it will at some time. But anyway, about this episode. So first of all, I'm going to talk about the you more about the UPS story, because that story features a prominent character from a previous episode, a perhaps a shameless character, if you know what I mean. So Amazon. I don't want to sound like Joe Biden, but yeah, that Amazon has something to do with the UPS story. Then I'm going to talk about. Administrative and even criminal remedies for uh, employers who don't turn over work injuries. Then I'm going to talk about some about why I don't think that criminal enforcement ha- has much of a place in workers' compensation. I would prefer to have have these disputes adjudicated in the civil justice system for a lot of reasons. And then finally, we'll talk about why, or I'll talk about why, the civil justice system is is, is not exactly the greatest place to litigate these claims. And there's a lot of reasons for that too. And one of those reasons is the power of the employment of will doctrine, which seems like I've just, I've, discuss quite a bit during the course of this podcast. And the reason I have is because it's it's really important and it has a very pernicious influence. So anyway, well, let me get to talking about the story that appeared in the in Bloomberg Law in early December about how UPS does not turn it it fails to fails to report or turn in many of their work injuries. So what is interesting about this Bloomberg story about underreporting of injuries at UPS if the practice of underreporting workers' compensation claims is common? What is interesting about this story, in my opinion? Well, the first thing that's interesting is that Part of perhaps spec- there's some experts interviewed in the article, some of the reasons for the underreporting of injuries have to go with the competition that UPS has with Amazon. And UPS employees are are, are unionized employees for you know to, to to a large extent, and they have to compete with not just non-union employees like like at like at Federal Express, but they have to compete with Amazon, who many of their work or employees aren't even legally employees, they're contractors. So Amazon is accelerating some of those pressures that UPS felt with having to compete with FedEx, which was non union. So there's the competitive pressure from Amazon that is increasing the pressure to underreport, but to some extent, the pressure to underreport injuries or to reduce workers' compensation costs has already been there. Been there at UPS. One thing that the story brings up is is that per the union contract with the Teamsters, uh, with UPS, the under the union contract, UPS has the right to pick the doctor and and their workers compensate for a work injury. And that, in in some States you have like Nebraska, the worker has the right to pick their own doctor. So again, I I do believe unionized workers are safer. Unionized plants are safer than non-union plants and unions do a lot of good things for workers, but they're not a infallible. They're not infallible institutions. And, and also unions, you know, they have relationships sometimes with management and they, they need to have those businesses to succeed and they can um, bow to competitive pressures from the business. So you have that there. And again, I think the Teamsters are a very good union and they do a great job of representing their employees, at least the local Teamsters that I encounter. They're real good, but you know again with that competitive pressure with UPS whether it comes from non-union workers at FedEx or whether it comes from contractors at Amazon forces uh unions to forces unions to cooperate with management in workers compensation claims to some extent so anyway i thought that was interesting as well so going back Uh, How does this story come about? How, how, how did this story make it into Bloomberg? Another good story. Um, So in March or spring of this year, uh, this reporter had written about safety hazards at UPS and which led UPS employees to contact this reporter, which led this reporter to some court filings in workers' compensation, retaliation cases. A lot of those court filings were the basis of this story that I'm, you know, blogging about and producing a podcast about. So, and that brings up another important thing about the role of courts. The role of courts is not just to settle or decide disputes between parties, they also have a fact-finding role, and this fact-finding role is supposed to be largely public. But, surprise, surprise, corporate defendants don't want this, you know, they they want to not have this fact-finding role be public. So, how do they suppress reportings about, how do they suppress the story of workers' compensation claims suppression? I mean, you have non-disclosure agreements, uh, as part of employment, uh, you have forced arbitration, which I talk about later in this podcast a little bit more where employers employees allegedly agree to um, arbitrate disputes oftentimes this is just clicking on something when you' when you're getting hired, and also assuming that you get in to litigation, you formally file something in a state or a federal court, employers or defendants, employers often want these protective orders that keep everything confidential, which I always fight them. I mean, you, some of these things that employers want kept confidential, I mean, they, 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 you know, we want to keep our employee handbook confidential. Well, I mean, if you've seen one employee handbook, you've seen them all. But you know, but a lot of employers have convinced some judges that the contents of their employee handbooks are, you know, are a secret, on par with like the locate location of Navy SEAL teams. So you know, and they've the, the, the so the corporate defense bar has done a good job of um, covering up things within within litigation in regards to employment practices and plaintiff's lawyers are often feel pressured to go along with this. So, and I can talk about that in another podcast. But again, uh, kudos to Fatima Hussein for breaking through this veil of corporate secrecy as well as the the the, uh, attorneys who uh, interviewed her here. So, finally, the article also talks about some of the remedies for workers' comp claim suppression. And essentially, this article focuses on civil workers' comp retaliation cases. And again, I'll talk about those later on in the podcast. But there's also some other things that the article addresses and also doesn't address that I'll talk about later on as well. The first thing the article addresses is civil fines for OSHA violations, and in the article, uh, there was an injured worker who was broke several bones, and OSHA fined UPS originally thirteen thousand dollars, and then the which you know not a huge fine against UPS, and that fine was actually eliminated. So civil remedies, you know, fines from administrative agencies like OSHA, you know, don't serve as a as, as a huge deterrent to, uh, for, for workers' compensation claims suppression. What the article doesn't really talk about a bunch, which I'm going to talk about in the next section, is the role of state workers' compensation laws in fighting claim suppression. And within state workers' compensation laws, there are some remedies that, where you can, where, where workers can address claims suppression to some extent but at least in an article written by a national reporter here's the problem workers compensation is a state-based law goes back to how the Commerce Clause was drafted in the uh, early 20th century and so laws vary by state so you it, it's hard for you know one person you know report especially particular reporters, to go state by state and uh, talk about what workers' compensation courts or agencies can do to fight claim suppression. But there are some remedies in there that where workers' compensation laws can address claim suppression, and I'm going to talk about them in the next section, and long story short is that I don't know how effective these tools are, but at least they're there, and I'm going to talk about them in the next section of the podcast. Also, I'm going to go check on the uh, chicken thighs I'm cooking right now that smell really, smell pretty good. And podcasts don't, can't podcast, can't podcast smells. So, all right, talk to you in just a minute. Yeah, the... Fatima Hussein's story about UPS not or underreporting work injury claims is a was a really well reported story, but it the story didn't discuss how workers' compensation laws, state workers' compensation laws, can prevent the underreporting of work injuries. And, you know, workers' compensation is often underreported or under kind of misunderstood because the law varies so much, can vary so much from state to state. Again, because of a fluke of legal history when workers' cop laws were enacted. So, but what can workers' compensation laws do? Uh, there was an article about claim suppression that was written by a terror wreck in Washington state and a lot of things that Washington state has with claim suppression against claim suppression Nebraska has as well Uh, for example claim suppression in Washington state and in Nebraska can lead to an extension of the statute of limitations for an injury if the employer doesn't fill out a, a report of injury with their court it can also, in failing to fill out these reports, can impact the ability of an employer to self-insure. In my view, that's, you know, companies are, are pretty, the companies that can self-insure are pretty smart about compliance. So they can still find ways to comply with court rules while at the same time minimizing costs. Also, another remedy for underreporting of injuries that workers' compensation laws can, can do are either civil fines, which is in the case of Washington State. And again, Washington's workers' comp system, I believe, is administrative, so they do fines. In Nebraska, we're part of the judicial branch, so if the workers' comp court believes there's violations of the law, either with claim suppression... Then they can turn that over to the attorney general for prosecution as a misdemeanor. So workers' compensation laws provide a lot of, a lot of, deter- some deterrence against claims suppression as well. So, and I wrote the, about this recently as well. About in Nebraska when those first reports first reports of injury in nebraska they're not admission of liability they're just saying that you know we just, we think somebody may have been hurt this is what they told us and they turn it into the court but it's not an admission of of it's not admission of liability but a lot of employers don't like filling out those forms and especially they don't like turning them in to the nebraska workers compensation court and there's a couple reasons why one it's It's just more paperwork to do, and nobody likes doing paperwork, even big companies who have departments like Human Resources or Employee Health and Safety that do paperwork. There's paperwork concerns. The other thing is, in Nebraska, there is our first reports of injury or public record, and plaintiffs' firms, including ours sometimes, will send letters to lawyers or to, to workers who have had first reports filled out on their behalf. And, you know, I've gone to continuing eds with people in the, on the management side and there is nothing that makes some of those HR people, employee health people, quote unquote safety people angrier than when their their clients, their employees get uh, direct solicitation letters for injuries so that they they can't stand that. So, and, you know, they've argued the whole, you know, we don't want to fill out injury reports or my, our employees don't want to fill out injury reports because they're going to get letters from lawyers. So, I mean, they're almost blank, blatantly admitting to claim suppression. The other thing is the workers' compensation court sends a letter too. So even if no lawyers are sending out letters, the workers' compensation court is at least telling people that they have some rights under the Workers' Compensation Act and, you know, to, and it tells, gives them some information as well. So in Nebraska, at least, when an injury is turned over, that, you know, becomes a public record and usually workers get some notification that they, well, about what their rights are under the Workers' Compensation Act. So employers don't, you know, that and, you know, they, they, You know, they don't want, they have reason not to want to turn in work injuries to the court despite all the various sanctions that could happen. But in reality, uh, I've never seen an employer in Nebraska self-insured lose their their ability to self-insure over claim suppression, and I've never heard of any employers being sanctioned for not turning over work in, for not, not filling out first reports of injury. Um, the workers' comp court back in September in Nebraska sent out a press release about fines to employers who don't have insurance. The attorney general did prosecute that. You know, they collected $50,000 in fines. But again, I've never seen any prosecution for claim suppression or underreporting in Nebraska. So, but again, you know, we're looking at what the prosecutions were for the failure to have insurance. Failure to have insurance in Nebraska, I think the average fine was maybe $500 for that. So, I mean, so criminally in Nebraska you take the risk of a small fine realistically versus the expense of having to potentially pay out a big workers compensation claim a big workers compensation claim so i mean there's not a lot of in reality there's not a lot of there's not a lot of serious penalties for claim suppression in nebraska and i suspect a lot of other states too but would that calculus change if criminal penalties are, were were heightened in Nebraska? I mean, so you make it, make it a felony. Sure, probably, but that would involve criminalizing workers' compensation, and there's a lot of reasons why I am not in favor of criminalizing workers' compensation that I will talk about in the next section. One of the ways that so-called claim suppression can be addressed is through the criminal justice system. For example, in Nebraska, if an employer doesn't turn over what's called a first report of injury form to our state's workers' compensation court, then they can, they're guilty of a class two misdemeanor and they can be fined, so... But there's criminal enforcement against employers. Doesn't happen very often, but at least it's there. I don't like criminal enforcement of workers' compensation. You know, I I would prefer that these disputes about about workers' compensation practices, I'd prefer that they would stay within the civil justice system rather than rather than have a lot of involvement with the criminal justice system. Why is that? Well, I wrote a blog post this summer about called Beware Criminalizing Workers' Compensation. And the main reason that I don't like criminal enforcement of workers' compensation is that generally employees tend to be targeted in that. I mean, if you have the, you know, if you, if you, if a prosecutor has the option to, you know, prosecute a business versus somebody who's poor or versus somebody who's poor, person of color, the, the, it's usually going to be the worker who's going to get prosecuted. And, you know, workers' compensation is stigmatized. You know, the I remember one time I was at a, wedding with my wife and I sat down with some people and you know they asked me what type of law I do and I said workers compensation and they asked me well how many of those claims are legitimate you know then people just assume that workers comp is 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 fraud and it's not but that's the assumption I mean workers compensation fraud is workers compensation fraud is seen as sort of a variation of of welfare fraud, which again is prosecuted quite aggressively. There's a good if anybody's read The Great Divide by Matt Taibbi from Rolling Stone. He does some really powerful reporting about how welfare fraud is is prosecuted versus how financial fraud is prosecuted. But again, if if we're gonna prosecute, you know, workers, if we're gonna criminalize workers' compensation you know, it's going to be people, it's going to be the injured workers who are getting uh, targeted by that. Even if, you know, for example, there's, you know, medical and billing fraud, which happens sometimes. But again, if it's medical and billing fraud, usually it's, you know, smaller doctor's offices or a chiropractor's office that's, that's doing, that gets hit with things like that. So, Again, when you're criminalizing workers' compensation, I think that it tends to be the worker who gets prosecuted. And also, when employers do get prosecuted for this, who gets who gets hit? Is it UPS? Is it Amazon? Is it the big packing houses? No, it's usually somebody, you know, a smaller employer, a mom and pop place, and and they get hit, and is that is you know, and then frankly, some of those smaller employers deserve it. Uh, I was at a I was at a CLE one time with one of the I guess deans of the Nebraska Employment Bar, and afterward, he's telling me, you know the 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 best. You know, the best defendants if you're going to sue, you want to sue quote, quote unquote dumbass small and medium sized companies. And some of those small companies do some really dumb stuff and really tube their workers. So, so yeah, and then some of those small firms, yeah, they do deserve to be enforced against. But at the same time, a lot of those small firms don't have HR departments, they don't have risk management departments, they're not as attuned on how to comply with the law. So a lot of the things that they would do, that a small company that do, could they could be considered criminal, for example, maybe failing to fit, turn in an accident report or renew their workers' compensation insurance, you know they could get criminally sanctioned for that, whereas a big company, they're going to dot their eyes and they're going to be able to cross their T's, but they're going to, at the same time, they're going to know how to push the envelope or you know play you know play to the boundary, and they're going to find ways to suppress, or to suppress claims. And to push claims on on to private health insurance or private disability. And they're gonna have a legal department to be able to do that. And if somebody raises a stink about that, they're gonna be able to defend that. And again, Matt Taibbi kind of writes about this, writes about this phenomenon in his book, The Great Divide, where you know government agencies do enforce the law, they do enforce fraudulent laws. But it tends to be small and medium-sized companies that get hit with with enforcement rather than larger companies. So that's my problem with criminalizing workers' compensation fraud as it relates to claim suppression. I think it would be much better to, I think it's much better to enforce these claims in, you know, if to enforce these claims or to fight these claims as a civil matter cuz essentially that's it's a contractual relationship between an employee and an employer it's a commercial dispute but there's a lot of reasons why <sighs> claim suppression or workers compensation fraud by an employee by an employer is why it's not a, why it's hard to bring those cases up in to successfully prosecute those cases as civil cases and I'll talk about that in the next section of the pod. So why is workers claim suppression by employers why is it difficult to address as a in as a civil matter? There's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, many employers require that employment law claims be arbitrated, so you can't take those claims in court. So there's also um, restrictions on art you know on, on bringing on arbitrating things in a class or in a group. So the Supreme Court legalized arbitration clause in the epic decision. Uh, Epic Systems decision in 2018, an opinion by Neil Gorsuch. So forced arbitration is one way that employers can keep claim suppression litigation out of court. Also, many of these claims suppression, you know, again, claim suppression is often a practice and it affects multiple employees, so they join together In class actions and maybe sometimes claim suppression is done in concert with other actors like maybe a um, occupational medicine clinic or a medical examiner and in that you know that there's a there's a claim for that you can bring that under um, under what's called civil rico and but rico cases civil rico cases are very very difficult to plead because they require you know you need to be able to plead there's heightened pleading standards where you need to be able to plead you know pretty specifically about any conspiracies there so those are hard cases to win because of the pleading standards and the reason that, the, that those RICO claims have higher pleading standards, Civil RICO claims have higher pleading standards is because those are essentially antitrust cases and the, the way that antitrust law has been eviscerated means it's hard to bring, you know, collusion cases. So, um, so Civil RICO is, is a tough option to bring for, it's a tough cause for, for action for employers who have, employees who have been wronged by their employers. Although there's been a little bit of success with that in the Sixth Circuit, and there's also a case out of Colorado against Walmart. So other barriers to bringing workers' compensation claim suppression as, as a civil action. One, there's always the defense in any type of litigation that derives from workers' compensation is that workers' compensation is the exclusive remedy that you have when you have a work injury. It's pretty powerful. Uh, In Nebraska, for example, you can't bring a bad faith claim for workers' compensation. In Nebraska, your exclusive remedy, if your employer or their claims administrator has unfairly handled your claim is you can bring a claim for fees or penalties under forty-eight one twenty-five. And that's it's hard to get fees and penalties under forty-eight one twenty-five. And even if you do, it's limited to fifty percent for a penalty, fifty percent of of back due benefits, and you can also get attorney's fees on that as well but those attorney's fees can be limited, particularly if your recovery is limited. So, so you have that. And then finally, you got good old employment at will. And that employment at will is a powerful tool for employers in cases where employees would bring a case, for claim suppression or failure to turn in an injury. Why is employment at will a powerful tool? Well, there really isn't such a thing as as bringing a case for claims suppression unless it exists by statute. I'm not aware of any state laws that allow a claimant or an injured worker to bring a claim for for claim suppression so you have to shoehorn a claim suppression case into another into another um, form of action and usually that's a retaliation case but as I've re- talked about and written about, courts uh, are ner- seem to be narrowly interpreting retaliation cases to make it harder for employees to bring cases. Particularly, what they seem to be doing now is saying that you know injured workers, they're they're making it more difficult to to argue that a person has actually claimed workers compensation um for example i wrote about how merely you know getting impl- workers comp benefits isn't actually claiming workers compensation benefits the same could be said as if you got injured at work that's not claiming workers' compensation benefits. You just got hurt. So the mere reporting of an injury in and of itself may not be claiming workers' compensation benefits. So in that case, the kind of narrow interpretation of workers' compensation retaliation serves to make it difficult to bring a claims suppression case, again, where... Because, you know, claim suppression generally doesn't exist as an independent cause of action legally. Um, Claim suppression cases might work a little bit better if you can bring, bring them as a pure whistleblower claim for reporting of an unsafe work condition. Actually, Nebraska allows that under our Fair Employment Practices Act. Uh, many of the uh, OSHA whistleblower laws also uh, allow that. In um, Fatima Hussein's story about UPS, she interviews Paul Taylor of the Truckers Justice Center, who I've met at a conference several years ago now seven. And again, he he brings cases cases under the Surface Transportation Amendments Act. And that, you know, that's an OSHA retaliation case. And those OSHA retaliation cases, if you report an injury in, a, in, a, in an employer covered under the STAA, those OSHA retaliation cases are easier to win than a typical civil rights claim. They have state legal standards that are more friendly for employees. So so there you have it. Um, I think the best probably ways for to discourage claims suppression one i think the fines at least administratively need to be increased if possible but of course there's a lot of states like nebraska that don't recognize punitive damages but you know fines need to be increased and i think legislatures at least in workers' compensation because again workers' compensation or workers' compensation is is a, is a state-based law workers' compensation statutes need to include specific causes of action for claim suppression because i think it's increasingly unlikely that courts appellate courts are going to recognize them at common law like maybe they would have you know during the 1980s, 90s, or even the early 2000s, for example, that's when Nebraska got workers' compensation retaliation by common law. I don't see courts going there right now, and maybe not for several years. So there needs to be specific um, legislative remedies, statutory remedies for claim suppression. And if we ever get federal minimum standards off the ground hopefully get Ber- Bernie Sanders gets in there and gets a good Congress and we can get uh, minimum federal minimum standards for workers compensation you know anti-suppression language anti-claim suppression language needs to be part of any any discussion of minimum federal minimum standards for workers compensation but federal minimum standards is a another episode of the Nebraska Compliment Podcast, and probably something we'll talk about in the future. So anyway, thanks for listening. Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, and I'll talk to everybody in the next decade. Thanks. Bye.